Coming up this week, off screen, the Thunder Buddies are back in Ted 2. Tom Six returns for the final part of his horror trilogy in the Human Centipede 3 final sequence. John Cusack is Brian Wilson, but who's Paul Dano? In Beach Boys biopic Love and Mercy, Irish animation is the order of the day in Oscar-nominated tale Song of the Sea, and the issue of race in America gets the satirical treatment in Dear White People. All of those to come and more off-screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Offscreen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am uh, Case Allen. I'm Chris Watson. You don't sound too enthusiastic, Wilson. <laughs> no. no, not very. Right. So, <laughs> shall we? Uh, shall we kick off this week with uh, Song of the Sea? Then let's do it. The, uh, so, this is this is the one that came out of nowhere for the Oscar nominations uh, this last year. You know, every mm. year you get that one that isn't DreamWorks, isn't Pixar, Disney, and isn't Studio Ghibli. You well, know, sometimes the wins. other one. Sometimes wins. Sometimes. Yeah. What was the one a few years? Was it Cos? I want to say Cos, not Cosmopolis. That's the Cronenberg no, uh, uh, film. The, uh, Persepolis. Persepolis. Yeah. How you Which is it, yeah. really, really great. Was it really, Persepolis? Really uh, yeah. Persepolis, isn't it? Well, yeah. well this year it's... It always looks to me to like try and pronounce words. Don't I, you? I do. You're the pronunciation, pronunciation expert guy, yeah. of our little venture. So um, <laughs> this year, of course, that, that unexpected nominee was Song of the Sea, which I believe, not knowing anything about it at the time, I think I'm stuck for a Studio Ghibli film. And uh, this is actually an Irish production by Tom Moore, and he's based on sort of Legends of the Sea. This is the story of a uh, young girl from a fractured family who've been ripped apart by tragedy, namely the, the death sort of during childbirth of the mother figure. Um, years later, she must team up with her sort of, well, her brother whom, with whom she doesn't quite get along to go on a journey First to get back back home when they're separate from their father, but also to actually save the, the world of the spirits and a race of creatures which I believe are called Selkies, yeah. which are just like the young girl in question. Basically beings who can transform into seals and sing the song of the sea. We have a clip. Now, settle down. There's something I want to give you. <laughs> What is it? This is an ancient shell that my mother gave me a long time ago. Hold it to your ear and listen carefully. You will hear the song of the sea. I can hear the sea. <laughs> so you get the idea from there. It's very much a uh, it's a young child clip. So they are actually children's voices rather than you know let's let's get a twenty year old in there and just get them to you know do that yeah. Chris Chris Pine voice. Remember. When they're Chris Pine yeah. playing a teenager, it's just Chris what was Pine. That? Rise, Rise, Rise of the Guardians, Guardians yeah, yeah. which I was a big fan of, actually. I enjoyed that. I I enjoyed that. Ali Baldwin doing a Russian Santa. That's, yeah. It's always a good time. I wished Rise of the Guardians had been live action, but aside from oh, that, God. that would have been amazing in live action. <laughs> but no, uh, Song of the Sea, which I was, I was quite a big fan of, and I think it's kind of like the Moomins. Remember the Moomins do the Riviera? Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the big selling point in the Moomins was its animated style, its style of animation, which was kind of out there and, and very much of a specific time and influence. And this is a very similar type of thing. This looks like the weird homogenization of like a half dozen iPad games, uh, a bit of Studio Ghibli, and that sort of doe-eyed anime that's all the rage with the cosplay community sort of, uh, sort of crowd at the moment. And uh, you saw this one. Yeah, I, I sort of got a bit of a snowman in there as well. You did the snowman. Yeah, there's one sequence uh, where they're travelling home and they sort of there's a bit of flying and all that. Like, and, uh, whimsy. Just, it's got whimsy. It's got whimsy. And I expected someone to start singing, We're walking in the air. <laughs> were, you, were you let down? <laughs> you let down. We're walking over the sea. I think yeah, I, I think that's all. to join in. Yeah. Not if you're watching the film. <laughs> Somebody start singing. That's the thing. Strangely, of all the releases this week, this is not the one. That stops to do musical number. That's yeah. another film later yeah. on. But uh, no, I did. I mean, I think the voice cast is superbly, superbly picked for it. There's no real name talent in there. It's Brendan Gleeson's, I think, arguably the only name involved. Mm. I mean, there's this Fion uh, Fionola Flanagan, for instance, is, is the role of the grandmother, but I wouldn't really call her a name star. She's sort of a you know, TV guest star type performance. Mm. Uh, she was in Four, uh, Four Brothers, wasn't she? Yeah. She was the yeah. mum in Four Brothers. Mm. 
that, uh, that that movie that gave us yet another great Tyrese performance to, to hang our hats on. <laughs> of um, which there are loads. Of which there are loads. Please, yeah. please make him Green Lantern, please. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. But uh, no, say so Brennan Gleeson's the big name star, and the cast are all very, very aware, it seems, of the type of film they are providing voices for. They get the fantastical style and the fairy tale like nature of it, and it plays like a sort of Celtically inspired fairy tale. Um, with with a smidge of sort of Viking esque mythology to it in a strange way, mm. uh, with a sort of, of almost Viking like Norse god figure in the background, um, but it is all down to the animated style and that's what sets it apart. And you won't see a film anywhere near this sort of level of imagination. Mm. I think this year, as far as animated fair goes, I mean, this lost Best Animated Film to Big Hero Six, mm. and it tells you an awful lot about how they gauge those films that it did. Because this is far more visually impressive than Big Hero 6. Big Hero 6 was a ride. It was an excellent film. This isn't quite as good a film. But in terms of representing the genre of animation, it's a much superior effort. Yeah, Yeah, I imagine in the uh, animation circles, this is the film of the year. I think so. I think this is is the one that I think they're meeting up at their uh, their, their Friday night pubathons from their different companies, passing the disc under the bastards. (laughs) Check this one. Check this one out that Tom Moore's done. Honestly, you'll be impressed. Um, Previously, he did a film called uh, Secret of Kells. Yeah, I never got to see this one. Well, that was also nominated for Best Animated Feature. So, as far as I'm aware, I think that's, that's now two so, for two. So he's two for two. So, with, he's two with for two, so we'll, we'll see what happens next year when people might be realising him for like his own style and this similar kind of thing. Well, I hope so. I mean, yeah. as, 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 as a sort of sophomore effort goes, I think this is pretty impressive. Uh, Wilson, you sold on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Right, okay, so we get some film news. We've got like three deaths to get, get through. Three obituaries yeah, this one week. One of which happened today, wasn't yeah, it? One was, was it? this morning. Yeah. So let's start with Omar Sharif, mm. which was yesterday afternoon. Mm. Uh, so Friday afternoon, Omar Sharif passed away, aged 83, of a heart attack in a Cairo hospital. I didn't know he still lived in Cairo. He moved back to Cairo years ago. Yeah. And uh, Omar Sharif, I mean, the, the story of this guy is, is brilliant. This is a guy who, uh, Egyptian actor, became the George Clooney of, of Egypt. At one stage in the fifties, he was he was Egypt's George Clooney before there was a George Clooney, <laughs> and then David Lean came along. Was like, hey, I've got a film for you. Yeah, in, in that way that only David Lean could have, and said, "Hey, Omar, you want to uh, you want to come and do your Clooney shtick for uh, for us? We've got this film, uh, Larry of the Sandland, Lawrence of Arabia. That's what we're going to call it. Come, could be our be our be our star, and it was his breakthrough role. And we all remember that iconic shot." And the BBC in the last 24 hours have milked the shots to yeah. death <laughs> of, course, yeah. of him riding in the distance, riding yeah. from the distance. And then, of course, he followed that up with the role in another David Lean film, which was Dr. Zhivago, which I think is a more prominent role, yet isn't quite as recognised as Lawrence of Arabia. Because Lawrence of Arabia had more, I think, Academy Award recognition for Peter O'Toole, for instance. And yeah, well, they were they both nominated. They were both they nominated, were both, but yeah, I think yeah. Lawrence Arabia was higher, more highly regarded, I think, than Dr. Yeah, Shibar, I think that's fair to say. But, uh, so, um, one of the world's best card players, apparently, uh, Omar Sharif, uh, made yeah, a name for himself yeah. in uh, many casinos around the world. He's like a world poker player? He was, was a world it? poker player, yeah. I believe. And, uh, well, unfortunately, in recent months, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and... Uh, Finally, having left behind a son and two grandchildren, one of whom is also an actor named Omar Sharif Jr. So, go figure on that one. Um, yes, he's finally uh, he's finally departed us, and what a shame. I'd always hoped he'd make a comeback. I'd always hoped for you know, an elderly comeback, because there was a point when he threatened to. You know, when he started appearing in The 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas and yeah. things like that, and he thought, oh my God, is Omar Sharif going to, is he going to do this? Is he going to do his, his, his late, late, late life comeback? I don't think that he ever fully kind of like retired up until this year, really. But he kept appearing, didn't he? kept just appearing in the odd thing. So, of course, Jerry Weintraub, super producer, he has also left us this last week, age 77, um, well, pretty much a mainstay of sort of seventies and eighties Hollywood. He came to, uh, to to prominence really with the Karate Kid in the in the mid eighties, and then it went through a number of spectacular flops throughout the nineties. Eventually, finally found his uh, his winning poker chip with the Ocean's Eleven sort of trilogy, the Ocean's trilogy, as it were, and then of course remade the Karate Kid, which, as far as I know, is one of his final films. And let's not hold that against him because you know what? To his credit, it at least made money. So, a lot of money. And he left behind a lot of friends, it seems, because yeah. there's, there's been a lot of very nice things said about Jerry Weintraub, particularly by people like George Clooney, Brad Pitt, etc. 
And uh, finally, and this one was this morning, Roger Rees has passed away, age 71. Roger Rees of such comedy comedy stable. Uh, you were a fan, I believe, as well, because you, you recently am. watched him in the West Wing, didn't you? Yeah, he's uh, Lord John Mulberry. He is. Wing, yeah. is he the British ambassador? He is, is the British ambassador. You, you Roger Rees fan, Wilson? Yeah, I am, yeah. Uh, Wilson and I recently watched uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, because yeah, Wilson had never crazy. seen it. And I, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, you've got to watch so this. It's a cameo at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then, and, and I, for me, that is Roger Rees' finest role because it's a it's a slapstick spoof, but mm. it shows you a how good a Mel Brooks spoof is, but also how good you can be in a Mel Brooks spoof. Mm. And Roger Rees took what should be a relatively one note gag and really ran with it. I think it's the finest comedic performance of his career as the Sheriff of Rottingham. So, oh well, nah, never thee well. What else we got? Oh, J.K. Simmons has not died. I want to point out, J.K. Simmons has not died. Uh, <laughs> oh God, God. So you dare give us a <laughs> So, J.K. Simmons is going to be uh, reteaming with the director of uh, Whiplash, Damien oh, yeah. Chazelle, La La Land, to star in a musical called La La Land with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. Because when's that partnership going to get old? <laughs> uh, well, they have three films now. This is the third Grace, one. Grace, you could love Gangster Squad, but I would prefer not to talk about. Yeah, wait, you're not a fan of that one? I, I liked oh. Gangster Squad. It was like the Punisher. Really? It was like a oh, Punisher no. style video game in places. It was. Uh, what but... was Sean Penn on? Like. He <laughs> <laughs> was on some of that Nicolas Cage juice. That's. Probably can't start fully due to legal ramifications. So. Yeah. Right. Shall we do another review? Then shall we have a look at the Human Centipede Three final sequence? Let's not. If we absolutely have to. <laughs> I, I, I'd rather not. Believe me. But yes, yeah, so the Human Centipede Three, which is uh, well, this is supposedly the end of the trilogy. Um, this one takes another step back behind the meta curtain so last time around which was an awful awful film that ended with a woman doing unspeakable things to a newborn baby and all in the name of entertainment apparently um well the, the crux last time around was in human centipede 2 in the world of human centipede 2 the human centipede was a movie within that movie now, in Human Centipede 3, Human Centipede 1 and 2 are movies within this movie. This one takes place at a uh, unnamed desert-based US prison run by the warden named Bill Boss, who's played by the first movie's lead, Dieter Laser, which is the greatest oh, name. such a good name. Jeez, isn't it? Dieter, oh, Dieter Laser. Do you imagine like, having a oh. restaurant reservation? They call you from the bar, Dieter Laser, your table Dieter is ready. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got Dieter Laser, who plays uh, Bill Boss, the foul-mouthed, racist, sexist, evil warden of this prison, overcrowded, underfunded prison, and his accountant, Dwight, who's played by the second movie's lead, Lawrence R. Harvey. So you've got first movie lead, second movie lead. They are the leads of the third one together, where they are also joined by Tom Six, the director, playing himself and Eric Roberts as the state governor. Because, because it's a film. Because yeah. it's a film, so yeah. Eric Roberts must be in it. Did I work out at one point, Eric Roberts has something like 300 IMDb credits to his name? It is something yeah, like that, something yeah. It is. It, it just stars in anything. Well, if, yeah. I, he just I, walks onto movie sets. Yeah, came up, like, oh, came up because course. Yeah. I worked out that Julia Roberts has something like 35. So Julia Roberts has 35. Yeah. The brother has 10 times that. Yeah, but uh, she picks far better roles. Well, say far better. Far more commercially successful, shall we say. <laughs> Eric Roberts wants she to pick more, more options. More um, choices. Are we, are we calling uh, Mary Riley a, uh, a commercial vehicle? Because that was that, I don't think that one ever really took off. It's a lot better than Sharktopus. <laughs> How well. dare you speak of Sharktopus? <laughs> yeah, I mean, commercially speaking. <laughs> commercially speaking. Sharktopus is a classic film. So back to uh, Human Centipede then. So basically, the crux around this, around this one is that uh, in order to solve the problems of the prison, namely underfunding, overcrowding, uh, escalation of violence, the warden, under the, uh, under the suggestion of his accountant, decides to create the world's first human prison centipede in which he takes... All of the convicts on, on under his supervision and stitches them into a sort of interchangeable, easily removable human centipede. The idea being that once you've served your your time, you can be disconnected from the centipede and the rest, and normal service resumed for the rest. Uh, we have a clip in which this process is explained to us. Well, more the benefits of the process are explained to us. Well, sir, more than fifty billion dollars a year are spent on correction. If more than four in ten offenders nationwide return to prison within three years of their release. This, despite a massive increase in state expenditure. But not anymore. This human prison centipede 
will reduce crime dramatically. It will be a deterrent to anyone considering a career in crime. And no more recidivism. Digestion in progress. So, given the level of thought that seems to have gone into why you would realistically want to construct a human prison centipede, yeah, I mean, one thing you can't say about the film is that it's not been given a degree of thought. It just happens to have been given a degree of thought by someone who should never be allowed to think about anything ever. It is, on every conceivable level, appalling. It is crass, it is vulgar, it is exploitative, and not in a fun way, not in a grisly fun way. On no level does this film work. No level whatsoever. Um, it's it, it's just it just exists. It's like this void. In, remember Interstellar when they're traveling between you know their, our universe and the other one, and they're in the wormhole, and it's like nothingness. Was that where you say Murph? Yeah, I I believe so. Yeah, that void of no, no, I mean like the actual wormhole itself. I mean that void of nothingness. That's basically the space in which this film would be considered worthwhile, because there is literally nothing else. Um, (laughs) Dieter Laser and um, Lawrence Harvey, Dwight Harvey, uh, Lawrence Harvey um, seem to be putting in what can only be described as Looney Tunes performances. So over the top, Mm. so far fetched. They've got an actress who appears to be a porn star playing their secretary Daisy, who is called upon to do some horrific things on camera um, Eric Roberts can now genuinely say that DOA Dead or Alive is not the worst thing on his IMDb uh, <laughs> filmography uh, I don't know how much they paid him for this I, I imagine it would have to be something impressive though this is appalling this makes his time on Entourage look accomplished it's just gobsmackingly poor and then you've got Tom Six who arrives in what can only be described as the most celeb- self-celebratory self-backslapping, self-congratulatory. And I, I trouble to... I, I struggle to, to come up with a term for it that doesn't defer to pornography. Um, because it, it really is... It, it's like performing an act of fellatio on oneself. That's the only way to describe his role here. There is a point in which he turns up in his own film to be told how wonderful the the pop culture impact of his work is. And, you th- and, and that they can only name a porn, pa- a porn parody and South Park kind of speaks volumes mm. to that. I mean, good God, this is awful. It's terrible. It's just dreadful. It's shot in this leering, just drippingly awful way. The whole film seems to be painted with bile. It's got this colour tint to it that looks like someone literally vomited bile into a bucket and then painted it over celluloid before then feeding it back into Final Cut and you know dizzying it up some more and adding some grain. It is just terrible. There's no fundamental way on which this works and about the only nice thing I can say about the film is that if Tom Six is in any way true to his word at least we won't get a fourth one. This is bad. This is very very bad. It It is just... <laughs> It's awful. It's a film which genuinely begs the question of what would be worse, watching the film a second time or physically being stitched into an actual human centipede. What would you prefer? I I don't know. That's the problem with the film. The the human centipede almost looks like an enticing proposition as opposed to actually watching watching another one of these fictionalised attempts at human centipedes. Yeah, I'd I'd go and be the actual human centipede and watch this. That's it, and you and I watched the first one the first time. Head of the centipede. I mean... It could be worse thing. The head of the centipede, yeah. incidentally, is played by Tiny Lister. Do you know Tiny Lister? No. It wasn't even uh, Zeus in um, No Holds Bad. Well, funnily enough, he was actually in another film with Eric Roberts. He was in The Dark Knight. He was the convict who threw the bomb out of the window. The oh, bomb yeah, remote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like Ving Rhames looking guy. Give it to me yeah. and I'll do what you should have done 30 minutes yeah, the, vi- oh, yeah man, the poor yeah. man's ring rings. Poor man's ring rings. Poor man's yeah, ring I don't know what it says about me that I went to the one with you Paul, went to Hogan. Paul Hogan. <laughs> yeah, before <laughs> Dark Knight. That, okay. fine. I couldn't remember him in that one, but I did remember <laughs> him. Yeah. <laughs> right, so let's I, I just avoid it like the place. Let's, let's leave it with yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's uh, let's have a look then. We've got some competitions uh, this week. We should plug on the website. We've got some great competitions on the website this week. I don't know if you've been keeping up this I week. I have, yeah. We've mm. got some awesome stuff. So if you go along to onscreenfilm.com, uh, our website, go in the competition section on there. There's loads to enter on there. No questions. I think it's all just entry form stuff. Uh, loads of different prizes to give away. We're giving away Ted 2 teddy bears. I'm quite proud of this one. Uh, actual talking 
Ted. That's they cool. apparently say ten different things, and I don't know if these are the R-rated ones or not. I'm gonna say, are they like but... like like I love you and stuff, or is yeah. it more? more no, they, they tend to be. I've got one of the ones yeah. from the first movie, and it tends to be just lines. Lines from the film. Like, yeah. Hey, Johnny, when you get another beer, huh? You nice, know that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got uh, prize sets for the Gallows to give away, which is the horror movie out next week. Mm. Which is you know like a hoodie and headphones, notebook, and a locker mirror, which is because it's set in high school. Okay. Uh, we've also still got running uh, competitions for the Wedding Ringer. You can win a Blu-ray and a prize pack for the Wedding Ringer, and what seems to bizarrely be our most popular competition at the moment which is dvd copies of chappie and uh yeah just so that people know those notifications every time someone enters a competition they come through to you know tablets phones and ipads of various members of the on-screen team <laughs> and some of us are just taking to switching them off now <laughs> we just we just check back once an hour and there's just 500 new entries <laughs> But yeah, go to onscreenfilm.com, go in our competition section. Uh, Ted prizes, Gallows prizes, Chappie prizes, and uh, Wedding Ring goodie bags to give away. So what's uh, what's our next review then? Uh, we have uh, Dear White People. Ah, you've seen this one as well. I have you? seen this. Yeah, I've seen uh, Dear White People, Love and Mercy on Ted. So. Oh, you see a three for, three for five. I'm, I'm, I'm never usually this good. I've usually seen like one. Well, 60% of this week's new releases. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm four for five in your four face. Uh, what's the thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw something. See, and I've seen the other three. But, but you haven't seen the Human Centipede. Yeah, so the only one you've avoided is the Human Centipede. You scarred. I'm about to say, I think of. I think of one against you as well because you saw human centipede. <laughs> yeah. It's so, funny enough. On the subject, it's yeah. true, but you, you talk about winning on the subject of human centipede. Um, whilst I was watching it, I thought of a moment I had in university when I went to talk to a girl uh, who I, I was I was really into, and uh, I got really clumsy and tripped up and fell down a flight of stairs. And that's a really embarrassing, really just cringeworthy moment yeah. for me. Um, but I'm I'm genuinely considering should I ever actually meet Tom Six, uh, giving him that story, and he can like mock me for it forever and you know hold it up as the most embarrassing thing about me. However, as embarrassing as that is, I get to hold it against him that he made the Human Centipede trilogy, <laughs> which I think is actually worse. I don't think honest. he would ever see it as being about if you can make something. Well, he's not self-aware. So... It's quite clear he's not self-aware. Mm. Yeah. He seems pretty, pretty deluded. This, this is a guy that would have to try really hard to be Eli Roth. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's saying something. And Eli Roth managed to take Keanu Reeves down with him, but yeah. God help him. After John Wick as well. He was, John Wick, he was on the Keanu wave. Did you get to see Knock Knock in the end? Uh, no. I no. still haven't had that pleasure. Have, have, you, have, you, have you avoided that one so yeah. far? Okay, so what we got then is uh, it's Dear White. Dear White, Dear White. So this is the uh, feature debut of Justin Simeon, who's a sort of up-and-coming young indie filmmaker. And what he's done with this sort of satirical dramedy is to take on the issue of race and more more common sort of the perception of race in contemporary America, in the Obama era of America's history. Because th- we, we have entered this, this weird sort of political phase now, and it seems to have happened sort of ironically since Obama yeah. came to power, where race has become more of a hotbed issue, again, for almost the, probably the first time we, we had a quiet spell of a couple decades, <laughs> when I think we were too focused on the war on terror. You know? <laughs> and now and now we've gone back to... It's come back, yeah. it's, it's come back. So we've got a film that attempts to take this issue and deal with it, Head on, and it takes the form of a young, aspiring black female film student, played by Tessa Thompson, whom, if we're just going to call her anything, let's just call her Selma's Tessa Thompson, because that's what she's going to be more known for than this film. Um, she she writes a book about the issue of race within her university, which is a predominantly white uh, upper class university, Winchester University, and the. The book causes a sort of an undercurrent to the environment around her, which threatens to boil over into something more. In the meanwhile, you've got a student election in which the issue of race is coming up as well. And then you've got a young gay black journalism student who is given the chance to work for the prestigious newspaper of the university solely so that he can use his insight to write an article about Tessa Thompson's character and race at the university. Uh, here's a clip, and I want to point out, this clip is a decidedly more comedic moment involving a cinema box office. Uh, it's impossible to find a clip for this film that doesn't contain harsh language, and it has been bleeped accordingly. Here we go. Man, fuck Tyler Perry! Dad, can we have a movie with, you know, characters in them instead of stereotypes wrapped in Christian dogma? Why is every educated person inherently evil? Why is this in a dress all the mother time? How come the only black movies 
Hollywood wants to make are ones with black mammies in fat suits. Yeah. Or black women in pain, man. So basically, we got black people dying in the past huh? and black people dying in the present. Most people are here to see Fang Nine. It's got two chains in it. Oh, man. So yes, apparently, uh, young black college students don't like Tyler Perry either. So we have something in common there. So why has he got so much money? I don't know. But you see, we see this is what we're doing. We're crossing racial barriers because none of us like <laughs> Tyler Perry. <laughs> so we're transcending race. We yeah. just don't like Tyler Perry's movies. Um, but yeah, the clip exemplifies a, a predominant issue with the film. And it's nothing to do with its addressing of racism. It has to do in how it handles its own tone. And the film is marketed, it was marketed to you and I, Wilson, remember, as a comedy. Yeah. With that scene with the theatre box office front and centre, that was actually the teaser on its own, was that scene. Mm. And my response to having seen that teaser was, oh my God, I have to see that movie because this is taking my view of race, which is, you know, why deal, why, why is race deal dealt with in a very specific, boxed off and tidy fashion that can, on, that can only then trade on the guilt of other races and be recognised for awards? Why? Why is there no real down-to-earth, grounded-level dealing of racism? So the film takes that issue in the form of that clip. However, for the rest of the film, it doesn't go with the comedic angle. It goes with the preachy angle, and that's a bit of an issue because there's far too much po-faced, humorless ranting, mm. and it's monologue. It's monologuing 101. Yeah. I don't know if you found this this with it, but I did. I, I mean, I think the problem with a film is. Um, can't remember the director's name. No, Justin Simeon. Yeah, he's very unconfident with what he's trying to say, and so he has to do all these long, long moments of grandstanding. We're talking like five minute, ten minute long scenes. Exactly. Where he does it, and the problem is when it comes to satire, you have to be a bit more subtle than that. It'd be, There's no punchiness to it. No, it'd be like in Doctor Strange Love. If it, in the war room there was someone there telling more how crazy they were, you've sort of yeah. with satire, you've got to have them. You just act normally, and then we see what's wrong from through there. We can't have people explaining, look, this is what's wrong, and this is what you should do instead. Mm. How did you find the, the sort of tone overall? Yeah. So I think you struggled with it, what you said a little, a little bit as well. I struggle. I don't, I don't think I find it as preachy as what you're both saying, if I'm mm. completely honest. I think I would agree if, if it was set in like a slightly wider scale, so if it wasn't set in a college... If it wasn't set in this kind of like small little microcosm where there's loads of different things going on, there's loads of different types of people going on. I think if it was, if say if it was if it was done like a film like Crash, where it's loads of different types of people. Now that is preaching. That's, that's, that's preaching. Pretty, but right however, <laughs> if, if Crash though stopped every now and again to have a two minute long comedic sequence, we'd be having the same issue with Crash that we have with this. Yeah. Mm. And it's because Simeon does those comedic sequences so well. He does. And he says more in the comedic sequences than he does in the dramatic moments that are five times longer. So a two minute comedic sequence makes a better point yeah. about how, for instance, a but white and American deal with talk about culture. Are very serious issues though. Yeah. So I've... I would rather have those issues have like quite a bit of weight to them. But then, then you, the comedian but, yourself, like some. You'd rather just have one bit. Yeah, but, but then okay. you you have a drama. You don't have a comedy. You you don't do the bits that he does really well, like uh, the uh, scene at the party, which is mm. a fantastic scene, and I think all oh, films worth seeing just for that alone. But you can't have that, and you can't have all the preachiness. Either way, you've sort of tonally, it's just a bit of a mishmash. Yeah, I, I think it is uneven. I think, I think, I think the the the, the politest way to call it would be uneven. I would say, in term in terms of its, its tonal unevenness. Having said that, I'm just bringing out of time. Um, I will say this: Tessa Thompson, great in it, mm-hmm. Do, does a fantastic job with it. I like Tyler James Williams as well yeah. Uh, yeah. As, as the young journalism student, and I particularly like an appearance by Dennis Haysbert as the sort of yeah, dean, the dean of the. Yeah. I thought he was great. Always a fun actor. So he turns up in Ted Two as well. And yeah, well, yeah, shows that he can do dry I humor double, extremely well. Dennis Herbert day yeah, he yeah. does an extremely dry bit quite well. I found his relationship with uh, the president quite interesting because those mm-hmm. guys were, were like kind of best friends, went to the same school, and they have this kind of like bit of rivalry. And he's the dean and his friend the president. They both got kids that were at the school. And yeah, yeah. So I, I found that. Interesting there watch. are things to like in it, but I think it's so uneven that there are things you'll like that will just get quickly squashed yeah. or vice versa. I would like to see what he comes up with next. I would. I would like it, though, if it was more either a drama or a comedy, because it's quite clear that he doesn't seem to be able to balance the two. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. 
Welcome back to Off Screen. So, what have we got next? We're going to do another review. Shall we have a look at uh, the do Thunder Ted. Buddies? Oh, yeah, Ted 2. Let's do it. Ted 2. Well, this one's been... It seems like, I think, about two minutes after Ted ended, we were told, hey, Ted 2 is coming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, well, I mean, was anyone really, really amped up and looking forward to this? Of interest. Uh, I was going to watch it. I, yeah. I enjoyed the first one, and I figured I was going to enjoy this one probably uh, as much. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the first one. I think the first one is great. I think it's a genuinely great comedy. Mm. But it is lightning in a bottle for Seth MacFarlane. Because it's a fun, high concept. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the few times comedy, he's yeah. gotten it right. Yeah. This, Ted 2, is, is far more in line with the average Family Guy episode, I think. Mm. Uh, or, or more, actually, you know what I equated it to? Uh, the Stewie Griffin movie that he did a few years back. Oh, yeah. yeah very much so. so yeah, yeah. The Untold Story. The un- yeah, Stewie Griffin, yeah. The Untold like Story. Yeah, that's yeah. a TV show. But it is very much that, like a plot line. Mm. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. So, okay, it's been uh, three years, I believe, since the end of Ted, because he's been working his job for three years, we're told, at one point. Uh, right, the general gist now is that Ted has gotten married to Tammy Lynn McCafferty, who is the Bostonian mole he, uh, he started dating in the first movie. Uh, who's got a, an expanded role this time around. Uh, in the meanwhile, Mark Wahlberg's character, John Bennett, has gotten divorced from Laurie, which I'm sure is completely inte- it was completely intentional before Mila Kunis got pregnant and was unable to do the sequel. Mm. But for the sake of argument, let's just say it was intended. And uh, right, the, the first year of marriage doesn't quite go so well for Ted and Tammy Lynn, and they decide to work through their problems by having a child. When it turns out they can't have a child, they then decide to adopt a child, and their adoption request raises red flags with the government, who realise that they had never quite gotten around to certifying who or what Ted, as an entity, actually is. This is something that was hinted at in the first movie. So what you have is a movie in which Ted's various... Various parts of his life are stripped of him one at a, stripped from him one at a time. So his job, his marriage, his pizza rewards membership, <laughs> all these things are taken away from him because he's legally property. And he and John decide to sue the government for <clears throat> Ted's right to be recognised as a person and effectively pursue a civil rights argument of their own. And they take uh, they take on a lawyer who is a young, inexperienced, recently graduated lawyer played by Amanda Seyfried to help them out pro bono on the case. Here's a clip in which they meet her. You must be Ted. Yeah, uh, I'm Ted. This is my buddy John. Hi. Uh, my uncle says that you guys are my first clients. Uh, what? It's been discussed, but um, do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 26. Ah. What, is there a problem? Well, you know, I just don't want my lawyer singing Frozen songs during the opening arguments. Oh, I'm Samantha Jackson. Ted, how are you? Good to meet you. Joe. Nice to meet you. Wait, wait, wait. What's your middle name? Leslie. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, So you're Sam L. Jackson. Just like Sam L. Jackson. Who is that? You ever seen any movie ever? He's the black guy. So that's the Sam L. Jackson bit you've seen in every trailer and every advert. Also, yeah. who's calling Samuel L. Jackson Sam L. Jackson? Like Sam Maybe Jackson. Sam Jackson, 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 Sam Jackson yeah. that's fine. Who's calling him Sam L. Jackson? Seth MacFarlane. Apparently Seth yeah. MacFarlane, yeah. Also, um, that is one joke, actually, and this becomes a recurring thing, actually, throughout Ted 2. It is a joke that actually had been used before on Family Guy. In which they visit, oh, yeah. they visit a porno yeah. set, and oh, I bet Samuel L. Jackson's here. He's, he's in there, everything, yeah. mm. and he's there. And he's... but there are a lot of jokes in Ted Two that have this problem. They have actually already appeared in the, the actual plot of the movie has been done in Family Guy because they did it with Brian Griffin yeah, course, at yeah. one point, and yeah. that's and that's the first season of Family Guy, isn't mm. it? Brian Portrait of a Dog. Yeah, yeah, but I say you yeah. about the first ten episodes. Of first it, ten episodes, yeah. right? So what you have? Whereas the first movie was this incredibly clever and just enjoyably, gleefully nasty, yet well-thought-out adult fairy tale, for lack of a better term. What you have this time is very much a bogus journey, uh, sort of sort of a sequel, which is, let's just take the same characters, we'll give them a similar kind of plot, but rather than do what we did last time, that it's just a, it's a way it's a wavy sort of a through line with a lot of sketches involved, and then there's a B plot which is straight out of a cartoon in which we'll bring back the previous movie's villain, which is uh, Giovanni Ravisi. Yeah, and like you said, Wilson, when you saw his name on the credits, yeah, he, he was by far the worst thing in first Teddy. He seemed pretty unnecessary. Yeah. 
And again, here he seems pretty unnecessary. I, I'd, I'd say that as well. I mean, I can mm. live with it in the first head. That's fine. It's it, it helped. You don't need to bring him it, back. It worked fine. Yeah. You don't need to bring him back. Could have been somebody else. I do really like him. I like as him as an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like him as, fine, a, yeah. as a comic yeah. actor as well. He's one of those people. But whenever I see him, just kind of pop up. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. He has the I A Giovanni's here. But Phoebe's brother. Exactly. Frank Junior. But which is there's a whole generation of people only know Giovanni Ribisi as Frank Junior. <laughs> but yeah he's the worst thing in this and his entire storyline just does not need to be there because it takes away from what is actually a fairly interesting concept that the first movie had only really hinted about the first movie had this constant reference to Ted for instance having legal trouble and t- trouble in the tabloids and and you wondered at points in Ted in the original Ted about so he can drive he can drive a car does he have a does he have a license? How's that worked? He's been on talk shows. So presumably there's been a stage where the government recognised him and then everyone else the pop culture just forgot about him. I always assumed that was the idea with Ted. And this movie sort of takes that as yes, that was the idea. Now they've just remembered he's here and he's not a person. And I like that idea. The whole civil rights issue is quite clever. It's quite a meaty concept. There's, there's a lot that you can bite off and chew from that concept. And having people like, uh, for instance, Morgan Freeman involved in it, on paper, is brilliant. In practice, Morgan Freeman has next to nothing to do in this film. He, he appears twice. Yeah, he's in it for about four minutes. It's four minutes of screen time, I would yeah. say, and one of those is to recycle a joke from earlier in the movie mm. about hard candy. That wasn't even a joke. It wasn't it just, even... No, it's just like... First time I was like, wow, weird way to end a scene. And the second time I was like, eh, that, that happens a lot in that film. Like, there'll be one kind of throwaway gag. First time I hear it, it's quite good. Exactly. There's one about yeah. internet pornography. Google, Google, yeah, Google pornography. Yeah. That, that guy keeps coming back. First time it was quite funny. And then, yeah, yeah, the first yeah. time, Grey, maybe once towards the end, but it happened like three or four times. Mm. Yeah. Now, of the cast, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg, given slightly more to do this time around because, you know, he's actually he's got a bit of a character, sort of down on his luck take on the character. Yeah. That's fine. Just That's lost his wife. Although I do want to point out for the sake of argument, Mark Wahlberg's haircut changes constantly throughout the film. <laughs> it, it's an, because when in the first day, his haircut is supposed to be modelled on Flash Gordon. And that's the whole point. It's meant to be oh, Flash yeah. Gordon's yeah. haircut. There's a, there's, there are points, in t- just shots. There are shots in the movie where he's just got the Mark Wahlberg haircut. And then he goes back to having fun, and it's really distracting. Uh, Amanda Seyfried is very enjoyable, and I thought mm. uh, very enjoyable. Uh, she was one of the best things about a million ways to die in the West, but here she's you know yeah. far more welcome female lead than Mila Kunis was. But that wasn't Mila Kunis's fault; that was the writing. Mm. She was that was character is the worst thing about the first movie, yeah. yeah, because it doesn't make a lick of sense. Mm. The plot of the movie is that she was ungrateful and she'd never have said anything. Okay, yay, go girls. But, you know, that that's how I took Ted. Um, but, yeah, she's got a lot to do this time around. She's quite lovable. She's quite endearing. But, of course, as always, the star is, is of course, Ted. And there's a real big irony to the idea that you've got a movie that's talking about whether or not Ted is a person. And for most of the duration of the film, you've forgotten he's a computer-animated character. And He's got the most personality. He, he does. <laughs> Uh, but they have found a way to use the character in, in new and sort of more inventive ways. So the very early scene involving a domestic argument is quite well executed. And just when you think it might be going a little bit too dark, there is a sequence with the neighbours and shouting oh, and the yeah, public, which yeah. sells it. I absolutely love it. It's worth pointing out there is a moment in a stand-up comedy club that had Wilson and I yeah. rolling around That's the floor. By far the best scene. By far the best scene in the film. It is the equivalent of the first movie's job interview scene. In terms yeah. of, he just comes out of nowhere and just whacks you over the head. It is a oh, great comedic moment. That's my favourite moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever talked to me like that before. Um, there are issues with it. The sketch comedy aspect is a little bit family guy. There's a lot of cutaways that you just think, really, you spent a day so of your many, life yeah. filming this? Mm-hmm. You, spent a, you took a day of your life to take Mark Wahlberg and presumably a dwarf in a mocap suit out on a speedboat to the middle of the Hudson River to then bury a laptop. You filmed all this for the sake of five seconds of a cutaway. It really is just a family guy cutaway. It is. It, it is. really yeah. is. And there's a lot of that to the film, and like the, the improv, uh, the stand-up club thing. Mm. There are a lot of cutaways. Some of them land, some of them don't. But the ones that land, land so well that they sort of keep the laughter going through the ones that don't. Mm. 
And it is nowhere near as even as Ted was. It is uh, nowhere near as successful as Ted was. But it's still enjoyable. It's far better than it has any right to be. Mm. Purely in terms of sheer enjoyability, I think. So uh, I enjoyed uh, the Tick references. That was very clever, wasn't it? Yeah. Really good, yeah. There, there was a lot of actual nerd humour in it, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, in fact, the, the climax takes place in New York Comic Con. Yes. Yeah. With all its product placement. With all its product placement. <laughs> did you know there's a Godzilla movie coming, Wilson? Because I didn't until yeah. I saw this film. Neither did I. Marketing. I wonder when that's coming out. Yeah, I can't wait. Are they rebooting Godzilla again? Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to see that 14 months ago. Yeah, you know who'd be good to direct that? That guy that's doing that Star Wars spin-off. He'd be quite oh, good. Yeah. I want to do the Star Wars spin-off. I have no idea. Star oh, yeah. Star, Star Wars is apparently coming back, wasn't it? Yeah, but, uh, right. So, Ted 2. Um, your fans are going to love it. Non-fans? Possibly not. If you're not a fan of the first one, I wouldn't particularly You'll like it. like maybe 20 it. minutes, which is about the length of the family episode. Yeah, basically that. Mm-hmm. Can't really say much fairer than that. So, box office top 10 time. Should we have a look? Number 10. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not this film next week. Fair enough. Number nine. Okay, number nine, we have uh, Mr. Holmes. In. Did you get to see this one in the end? I still haven't seen you it. Because no. this seems like the kind of thing you race out and see. <laughs> have I just got a type? <laughs> You've got a type, Case. And it's Bill Compton. You like, you like high concept, highbrow concepts. That's it's, what you it's like. For, it's for glasses, man. It makes it look classier than I actually am. Uh, that's what it is, because yeah. you do otherwise look like Joaquin Phoenix in her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, no, I I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed Mr. Holmes. I almost said Mr. Her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a matchup I need to see. Yes. Really <laughs> Ian McKellen's face on a pink background. <laughs> <laughs> Watson is like Simmy. <laughs> it's just the voice of Roger Allen when he falls in love with the computer. <laughs> Right, so Mr. Hope really enjoyed it. Uh, great performances on several levels because obviously different time periods. Uh, great performances all around from Ian McKellen as the well elder times three Sherlock Holmes. Um, terrific direction from Bill Condon. Uh, great writing, terrific script. Uh, really, just overall impressive drama. Uh, one for the Sherlock fans, one for the non-Sherlock fans. Anyone looking for a good drama because it is there's an interesting mystery thriller aspect to it, but it is played on a rather drama-based level. Number eight. Number eight. You, you're really going to make me pronounce this. Go on. What is it? A Grilla you Game. Game. Tell. Just say opera. We're not. We're not reviewing it. We're not reviewing it. Okay. There you go. Same time as singing this. Tell. Right. Number seven. Okay, number seven, still hanging in there. Just about a little, small, independent film. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, it's still making that same amount of money. What the odds? You'd almost think it had sold out. <laughs> 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 uh, well, uh, uh, Wilson, Empire Strikes Back, what do you think of the film? Like I said, I've never heard of it. Never heard of it? No. Case? Um, isn't it something to do with Star Trek? It is. It's yeah. that one after Spock dies. It is, yeah. Number six. Number six is Spy. Did you see Spy? I did, yeah. yeah. I quite enjoyed it. A bit bloated, but Melissa McCarthy's excellent in it. No, I have to ask this one, because you're a Peter Serafinowicz fan. He wasn't that good in it. He wasn't but, that good but, in but, it. But you remember his films. Yeah, yeah it, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, is terrible in it as well. No. Stick to the impressions, Peter, for God's sake. Exactly. Yeah. Or at I'll least... watch a Brian Butterfield film. Yes, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I want to watch the quiz movie. I want to watch... Uh, what's the name of the quiz show? You Must Kill the French Ambassador. <laughs> 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 did we insert that into a show once? We did. It's one of those spy thrillers. We inserted Twice, that clip. Yeah, we kept doing it. <laughs> uh, I had the chance to watch Spy again uh, the other day. Okay. And uh, do you know what? It is, it is gut-bustingly funny. Uh, I liked it more the second time, strangely, than the first. I still maintain, however, that uh, Statham is the best thing in the film. But as you and I said a while back, the interesting thing about Spy is you just take it as writ that Melissa McCarthy is funny as hell in it. Which yeah, speaks volumes about the quality of her work, I think, that you just just assume she's brilliant in it. Hmm. And you know what? She'll prove you right. Number five. The Amy Winehouse documentary, um, Amy. Have you seen this one? Uh, no, I'm actually going to watch it tomorrow. Ah, fair enough. This is uh, Asif Kapadia's follow-up to Senna, which yeah. you were a fan of. I, I loved yes. Senna. Yes, Senna's fantastic. I, see, I need, to, I need to rewatch it. I watched it at the time, and I don't think I ever really got around to absorbing that one properly. However, I was a very big fan of Amy. Um, in terms, it makes larger statements than what you would assume. It makes grand statements about how the public and the media consume the culture of celebrity and how we respond to it. But that's all sort of in addition to what is actually quite a, quite a, an in-depth and impressive sort of portrayal of really the sort of the, the the would-be rise and fall of the legend that never got to be. 
And I was impressed, but I want to watch it again. I uh, I wasn't interested in Amy Winehouse before the film. I'm more interested in the story now, having seen the documentary. And evidently, there's a lot of fallout from it as well, uh, especially with her dad. Number four. Magic Mike, extra extra large. You know what I was going to do last night, Wilson, when when you and I went to see Ted Two, because we went to see it on a whim. Mm. We just had nothing to do. I'd already seen it and reviewed it, and he needed to. Yeah, and we, to so I just booked the tickets online, and I did think briefly. I briefly considered just booking tickets to Magic Mike. Not telling him and then going in, <laughs> watching it, and just seeing what he made of it. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. When does the bear show up? <laughs> when does the bear show up? Right there, it's called Kevin Nash. <laughs> Wait, you just saw that film for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Magic Mike XXL. Um, right. There have been. Uh, I'm just going to say it's a lot of fun. It's got nowhere near the wit or intelligence of the first movie. Or this story. is or story. You can fit the story. <laughs> you write the story out on your pinky if you want to. You literally won't stretch further than that. Um, but whatever you do, don't start waving your pinky around talking about Magic Mike because it just sends the wrong message. And um, it is a lot of fun. It is very much a good time movie. However, the comments I would normally defer to, which are just people on the internet, the Facebook, the Twitter crowd, most of them aren't broadcastable. Um, because it, it it seems like it it's appealed to the filthier part of the minds of its audience. I'll just say that. I saw this in a crowded, alcohol fueled press show full predominantly of women and it was like being at an actual strip show that's how what the atmosphere was like women men everyone everyone was just going nuts at this film it was like the the audience of an actual strip club it was bizarre um i'm sure it was a press show you didn't just wander into a soho nightclub yeah it's entirely possible there is there are a few soho nightclubs right behind the view (laughs) but uh, i mean my my favorite comment actually comes from lizzie tasker whose response to seeing the film was and i quote blimey they don't call it xxl for no reason number three jurassic world What's left to say? Yeah. <laughs> it has. What's left to say on Jurassic World? I mean, can I just point out? None of us have noticed that Age of Ultron has disappeared from the top ten. Hmm. Which means that we don't have to like we don't have weekly to, segment. We don't, we don't what do else do we need to say about it? <laughs> we don't do our weekly. I've just said it for Jurassic World because that's going to become the next one. Like, what do we? Can we really? It's going to hang in there for weeks yeah. and weeks and weeks. Hey, to Case, yeah. I want to militarize dinosaurs. Hey, Vincent Onofrio. Okay, I used to be in the Navy, and I'm Chris Pratt. That's cool, but I want to militarize dinosaurs. That's really that's, that's pretty much all That's his conversation. <laughs> How do you take your coffee? You watch over Everything with this guy is militarised. Hey, being eaten by a raptor, that's fine. I'm just going to militarise it first. Hey, Mr. <laughs> D'Onofrio, I'm calling from AT&T. Are you satisfied with your long-distance plan? Yes, but I really want a militarised dinosaur. <laughs> it's just... It's that level. It's not really a character, is it? It's not <laughs> really. I mean, his, his character's name could literally be first name militarised, second name dinosaurs. <laughs> Mr. M. Dinosaur. <laughs> exactly. But uh, Diana saw. Ah, <laughs> but no, I love Jurassic World. Like, it's a lot of fun. You, you and I never got to talk about this Wilson. Actually. Did you? Did you enjoy it? This is where it gets awkward. I didn't like it. Did you not like, you like it? it? No. Oh, at all. I, I, I felt like it was just a complete retread, and it bored me. Ah, okay, that's fair. That's cool. I think you felt about it then how I felt about the Robert Rodriguez Predators movie then because that's kind of how I felt about Predators yeah. where it feels like you're retreading it so that you can then do the sequel that we wanted this time around mm-hmm. so like you do do the reboot effectively which remakes the first movie so that you can then do the sequel that you actually wanted to do yeah about say you can consider him for re- they remake Spider-Man once every two years so might as well just remake Jurassic Park and got on with it from there it's kind of surprising actually that they didn't but I suppose there does say something about the respect that Hollywood actually has for Jurassic Park that they didn't even consider it but any, any thoughts you want to add to Jurassic World? Apart from wanting to militarise dinosaurs, that's about yeah, it. But who doesn't? Uh, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Chris, Chris Pratt is not he's, one he's the only person who doesn't. That's why he's the hero that we need. Number two. Terminator Genesis. Now, you liked this more than I did, Wilson. I did, yeah. I, I'm, I sort of uh, ignored all the different timey-wimey stuff going on. There's and more timey-wimey stuff in this than an actual episode of Doctor Who. It's yeah, weird. No, I can't believe it was just referenced Doctor Who as well. I was just counting all the timelines that it was in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't even get me started. Right. Did, you, you saw this in the end. I saw it last week with my fiance. That was it. He yeah. sent me a photo of yeah. Cass uh, when they came out of the cinema screen and she's just got this dumbfounded yet sort of angry look on her face <laughs> and he sends it to me with 
this is Cass's face come after coming out of Terminator Genesis. <laughs> uh, my only thing is, you know, for just for how they spelt Genesis, Phil Collins must be spinning in his grave. Yeah. But uh, Can I just say, I've got text messages as well. Notice that I wrote uh, Genesis with an I, not a Y. You did. I did yeah. notice that. Yes. Hey, I'm just surprised that over here they didn't call it Terminator Mega Drive. No, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be the sequel they're going to try. Yeah. Try could be really funny. Got yeah. Terminator Famicom. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd humor. Terminator Commodore. <laughs> <laughs> Terminator 3DO. Oh god, that's going really. <laughs> Terminator Philips CDI. Oh, Terminator Jaguar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. For, by the way, did you notice the Independence Day sequel got the dreaded R subtitle? Uh, Independence oh, Day. Oh yeah. Because yeah. yeah. David and I used to have this thing that sequels always got R subtitles. So you know, resurgence, revisited, redemption, retribution, retaliation, revolutions. Yeah, yeah. Reloaded. Yeah, exactly. Independence Day got one as well. Terminator Genesis. Let's see. As a fan of the Terminator franchise, I wish it didn't exist. Tell a lie. As a fan of the Terminator franchise, I wish time travel did exist so we could erase this one from the timeline. This is a movie which managed to just to actually make Terminator: Rise of the Machines look like a genuinely great sequel. Um, it is, however, better than Terminator Salvation, uh, which leads me to another point, which is that Johnny Courtney is actually not terrible in this film, largely because Christian Bale had been so bad last time around. You know the film is in grave and utter peril, where Johnny Courtney is one of the best things in Yes, it. yeah, that kind of tells you where you're at. It's like saying Sam Worthington's good. You know the film is awful. <laughs> yeah. Number one. And number one, those minions. Dem minions. Dem minions. minions, dog. Which Wilson hasn't seen because he promised he'd wait for his sister before he went and saw it, and she's currently on holiday, so. <laughs> Yeah. It's gonna be it sucks to be you, Willie. Really. It's, it's gonna be in the cinema until Star Wars comes out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 until until be, Minions Two comes out, you're gonna be lining up to see Force Awakens. Some kids coming out with Minion dolls. <laughs> <laughs> like these, these are not the small sidekicks you were looking for. <laughs> but no, Minions was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, did you get to this? Because you weren't terribly enthusiastic about it, were you? I've still not seen it. Um, I, I will give this one a go. I will give it a go eventually. I would say people have been really sort of snooty and kind of elitist about it. It's an animated spin-off. It's yeah. it's Penguins of Madagascar for a different franchise. It, it what do you kind of smell like a cash-in, but what do you expect exactly? It's, I mean, to, to be perfectly frank, I'm kind of impressed they waited this long to do a Minion spin-off because I'm, I'm, I'm impressed they made us sit through Despicable Me 2 before yeah, doing they, a Minion they, spin-off. They could have done it straight after the first Because yeah. surely any sane marketing guy would have been like, you're not doing a Despicable Me sequel. You're getting a Minions movie and that's it. Mm. And then we'll do Minion sequels. We're not doing Despicable Get out of here. I think I'm more excited to see that studio do other films. So I'm more excited to see Secret Life of Pets. Yes, Secret Life oh, of Pets. Yeah, that that's God. going to be huge. That's going to be so big. Um, the Secret Life of Pets trailer was actually on. We did the, the Sunday morning gala press show in Leicester Square mm. for Minions in IMAX. And they played the only the only trailer they played beforehand was Secret Life of Pets. And on a big IMAX screen, first thing Sunday morning, lots of sugar, sugar-fueled kids... My God, the roof nearly came off the place. Everyone, the kids, the adults, we were all laughing ourselves senseless. I just want to see Louis C.K. as as that dog oh, in that movie. waiting for his owner to come back. Yeah, I'm and sorry. the dashing with the blend. Secret Life of Pets is going to be amazing. So Right, so we've got uh, one more review. One yep. more. Love and Mercy. One more. So Love and Mercy, which is uh, only the second feature of Bill Polat, who has only directed one other film in 25 what, what was his years. What biggest film? I, I forget, because it was, it was like a no-name so, film from 1990. He's been producing in the meanwhile. He's produced loads. Of, he's produced on Twelve Years a Slave. He's produced loads of so things. Dude, dude's got an Oscar. Then. <laughs> yeah, dude has an Oscar. Yeah. Produced loads of things over the course of twenty-five years. Never really directed much. Now he's directed this, which is the story of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys at two different times in his life. One in the eighties, in which he's played by John Cusack, and he'd be what I would say in his fifties. He would have been. Yeah, late 40s, early 50s, yeah. In which he struggles with his mental health and also issues involving his caretaking, people who are taking care of him who may or may not be taking advantage of him, and along the same time meets the woman that will eventually become not only his second wife, but actually his, his salvation, both physically and emotionally. Mm. 
Uh, you also have, running parallel to this, the story of Brian Wilson, played by Paul Dano in the 1960s, in which he is basically establishing himself as an artist and struggles with conveying the mess of musical thoughts in his head to the people around him, basically getting them on the same page as himself and his visionary take on the Beach Boys music. We have a clip. Do you know who this man is? Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Ah. <laughs> you didn't mention that. Well, because that stuff doesn't matter. That's ego stuff, you know? Are you kidding me? I, I, I love your music. I grew up on it. Thank you. That makes me feel really good, Melinda Ledbetter. Okay. <laughs> okay. Melinda good enough. Ledbetter. Right? It's a nice name. Uh, why don't you get started on the paperwork, okay? So, love and mercy there. Now, this was, you were looking forward to this, weren't you, Curse? Yes, I was. I was, I, I was sort of trepidatious about this one. I think because of the name of John Cusack. And I forgot yeah. somehow that Paul Dano and Elizabeth Banks and Paul Giamatti were in this film as well. Because mm. you just told me John Cusack's the film, you're not exactly selling me nowadays. You know, there was a time. Frozen Ground. What was the one he did with Thomas Jane recently? It was like, oh, wasn't that Drive Hard? Drive Hard, like yeah. yeah. Which, I, which should, should have been a sequel to Drive Angry. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> if only something we could have had the. But Cage uh, plays the accountant. Yeah, if we could, could have had a Cage QSAT reunion then. Uh, yeah, we did that, but never mind. So, um, right, you've got what you've got here are two completely separate films. You've got Paul Dano's film and you've got John Cusack's film. Mm. Now, they're both very different films and. To be perfectly honest, I found the Paul Dano film infinitely better than the John Cusack. Interesting, more, in, more interesting, more engaging, more enjoyable than the John Cusack I think one. he has more to kind of work with, though. I think so as like well. Like he has a meteor part of his life to talk about. Now that's the thing, because I think uh, Dano's uh, movie gets all the story, and Cusack's movie gets all the performance. And although Dano's performance is better, Cusack's movie is all about the performance, whereas Dano's is performance and story. Mm. And I think that's why his section of the film comes out looking so much better than John Cusack's. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Banks very enjoyable, and it's it's sort of another it's another feather in a cap, really, isn't it? It's ever increasing. It's less of yeah. a cap and more of a you know. It's like a headpiece. Like for a headpiece. Games, isn't it? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like Effie. It's kind of like it's an Effie Trinket style headpiece. We talk about feathers in caps at this stage. Uh, Paul Giamatti, who's having fun with it, but reins it in just enough to keep it believable, I think. Because yeah. it does threaten to go too far to too ham it up. It does yeah. a bit, yeah. But he keeps it reined in just enough, I it, think. Especially for a hamburger scene, which you'll know if you go oh, see. Yeah. 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 There is a scene with yeah, a scene with the hamburger, you think, okay, this threatens to go a bit too far. This is this is going almost Ike Turner, yeah. you know, on us here. There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of Ike Turner to this one. And uh, no, you watch your figure. <laughs> but um, no, I'd say Dano is terrific and he mm. does remind you in this film that he is one of the most unappreciated actors going today mm. like what's it going to take for Paul Dano to get some recognition because he's tremendous in this yes. I mean you go back and you watch uh, There Will Be Blood yes. obviously Dando Lewis is absolutely stellar in that film but oh, that's the thing I, mean, the, the the first, I don't remember amazing. him I don't remember him before Little Miss Sunshine uh, I mean, right, that, yeah. that was the film where the first time I, I remember seeing him and going wow this kid is good doesn't even talk for the first half of the film mm. well, exactly, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't talk but he's amazing yeah. isn't it but no I was a big fan I think the film is uh, the film is tremendous that was an excellent biopic it does overcome some of the more worn cliches by being a little bit more considered a little bit more about the character than sort of playing the more mawkish aspects of the plot for you know mining that mm. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I mean, Wilson... Overall. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end it was just a standard music biopic for me. But bear in mind, I went on like a Beach Boys kick a few years ago, so I know all about the story anyway. Mm. And it is a deeply fascinating story, both sides of it, actually. You know, like, like the creation of Pet Sounds and conversely all the stuff where he's allegedly suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. And but was he, as the film asks? No, is the answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you know Brian Wilson, no. no. Yeah. And I think they could have made two separate films here. I think each one was as interesting as the other. It's just that all the uh, creation of pet sounds was all the meat is in. Yeah, it, yeah, all the meat was there, infinitely better. Yeah, I do kind of agree with that. I mean, um, seeing an entire film of pet sounds and seeing the kind of breakup of the Beach Boys after that, that would mm. be a fantastic film. Maybe yeah. maybe it's for another biopic. Uh, but no, I did I did really enjoy it. Um, I agree, I don't think Cusack was performing his absolute best, but much, much better than he has been for the past decade. So. I mean, it wasn't before White Redemption, but I wanted. I mean, to be honest, I'm going to give it Film of the Week. 
Because, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of slim pickings, if we're honest. Ted 2 is enjoyable, but not really great. Well, uh, so you, you, you're, you're not going to give it to... Uh, human centipede? centipede? No, 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 because I'd actually rather what be stitched into an actual human centipede. <laughs> so, coming up on next week's show, we have, of course, The Rise of the Insect. It's Marvel's Ant-Man with Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas. We've also got horror film The Gallows next week. Remember we were talking about that with the competition? Yeah, right, yeah. Is, this found, I can't tell, is this one found footage? This is found footage in hangings, oh, isn't probably. it? Probably. And a lot of red lighting for some reason mm. uh, we've got uh, oh the Ryan Reynolds uh, sci-fi movie with Ben Kingsley that's next week oh, selfless with one of the worst floating head posters <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen in my life. it's a very floaty head poster it's bad as a Marvel poster and and this is one I'm really looking forward to because it had no marketing in the UK whatsoever James Franco Jonah Hill true story a straight drama mm-hmm. starring Jonah Hill drama thriller Jonah Hill James Franco true story and it's got uh, uh, Theory Ethan, of Everything. Ethan Suffles in it. Um, the from Theory of Everything. Uh, oh, Felicity, Felicity Jones. Jones. Felicity, Felicity Jones. Jones yeah. I was going to call her Felicia Hardy and then remember that's her Spider-Man character. Yeah. Uh, Felicity Jones in it as well. That's, how has this not had advertising? What, what are the marketing people I saw the trailer at the cinema yesterday, actually. Yeah, fair enough then. So there is some marketing. There's like a really, really small amount of marketing. There's no posters or anything yeah. anywhere. So, well, that's, that's kind of all we have time for this week. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been uh, Case Allen. I've been Chris Watson. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Who put a question mark at the end of Wilson's script? It's not I'm Chris Wilson. Chris Wilson. <laughs> Do you know you're Chris Wilson? <laughs>